You're listening to the Doc Lounge Podcast. This is a place for candid conversations with the healthcare industry's top physicians, executives, and thought leaders. This podcast is made possible by Pacific Companies, your trusted advisor in physician recruitment. I am one of your hosts, Cameron Steinheimer, and I am the marketing manager here at Pacific Companies. Hello and welcome to the Doc Lounge podcast by Pacific Companies. I'm your host, Stacey Doyle, Senior Director of Marketing. Um, we want to thank you for tuning in today for our Providers Perspective series. This series focuses on a physician's journey through medicine and their learnings and advice that they would give to you know their peers and any upcoming physicians. Our special guest today on the Providers Perspective is Dr. Brandy Jackson, an inpatient psychiatric medical director. I'm also joined by my co-host today, uh, Ryan Calso. He is the Director of Permanent Physician Recruitment at Pacific Companies. So first, I want to welcome Dr. Jackson. We are so excited to have you with us today. Um, would love to just give you a minute to tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got into psychiatry. Sure. So um, thank you so much for having me, first of all. Um, I am actually originally from a small town in Northeast Ohio, and I grew up in a pretty close-knit community. So I became a doctor to serve communities, and I still consider myself a community psychiatrist. Although now um, I see people um, from all over the country, I'm mostly focused in inner city areas. I did most of my medical training in Chicago. And more recently, with the help of Ryan, I've moved to the Milwaukee area and I'm working at a hospital there, helping to establish what is one of the largest referral centers for the county of Milwaukee for psychiatric care. Amazing. Well, that is such an impressive background. We're, we're lucky to have you today. And I want to go ahead and, and that leads into the intro to Ryan. Ryan, tell us a little bit about, you know, your background and um, as a physician recruiter and, and you've been working with um, Dr. Jackson recently. Yeah, so I've been in uh, physician recruiting for the better half of a decade here and uh, just kind of fell into this role. Uh, I was actually solicited on LinkedIn and at first I was like, I don't know what that is. I, I don't think I'm going to do that. Six months later, I found myself interviewing. I, was like, I think I could be pretty good at this. And here we are half a decade later and... Uh, well, a little over half half a decade now, and recruited uh, physicians all over the nation, and absolutely love what I do, uh, making a difference here. But you know, as a physician recruiter, we travel around the nation to these different healthcare systems, such as uh, this one in Milwaukee that Dr. Jackson is talking about. We consult with their CEOs, you know, any board members or decision makers, look over contracts, processes, and uh, really help find them stellar providers like Dr. Jackson to make that difference because as we know we're about 120,000 positions short um, especially on the mental health side of things which we'll get into today um, and it's only going to grow so uh, my experience working with Dr. Jackson uh, the reason why I wanted her on the show is because she has been my favorite candidate to work with thus far she has the best personality ever um, you'd never think an inpatient psychiatric medical director would have the personality that she does no offense other psych medical directors, but uh, she's awesome. So really excited to have her on the show and share some of her experience. Love it. Well, thank you for that intro and, and background about yourself, Ryan. Um, yeah, I would just love to to learn a little bit more, Dr. Jekyll. Why did you originally kind of get, um, you know, into psychiatry and what really inspired you to, to pr pursue this career? 
Well, when I entered medical school, I was pretty sure I was going to be a family medicine physician. That was my goal. Um, but then in medical school, you basically rotate through every specialty of medicine. And I found myself really loving to get to know the social lives of my patient and kind of get into their minds more than I cared about the liver numbers and even like what their heart sounded like. I cared about what their, what was going through their hearts and their minds. Um, and so I kind of decided toward the end of medical school to pick this specialty and I haven't looked back. That's, that's really, that's really inspiring. Um, and, and it's cool that you kind of, you knew you had the calling and it said, okay, this is what, this is my path. This is where I want to go. And that, that kind of leads me to thinking, how did you end up then deciding, okay, now I want to kind of focus a little bit more on leadership or, and become, you know, a, a director role. That's a wonderful question. I think in hindsight, I always had this interest in leadership. Um, but every time throughout my life and throughout my education that I've taken on any kind of leadership role, it's been pretty reluctantly. It's because I look around and I say, okay, is no one really wants to be the student council lead. Okay, I'll do it. You know, I was like the default. And I think things really changed for me. I, I, I was a chief resident, um, which is a key leadership position in psychiatry training. And I really enjoyed pretty much all aspects of that and working closely to bridge administration with the folks who are on the front line of the work. I always liked that. Um, but it was really the pandemic and watching a lot of infrastructure be lost and broken down that caused me to really decide that it was time to step forward, uh, probably decades earlier than I originally envisioned into more of a leadership role and, and eventually an executive leadership role. Um, and it's been pretty rewarding. Yeah, I know. I know the pandemic and with COVID that really just brought to the forefront the needs and and really, you know, kind of the lack of, of providers that we have and, and, and really, you know, just that there is a mental health you know, crisis around our country and just that the awareness around it wasn't really that high until we, you know, we're kind of entered into the, the pandemic and then obviously post the pandemic. So I'd love to learn, you know, for, from you, obviously an expert in the field, you know, really kind of how you have seen that evolve and, and where you think it's going. I'm, you know, thanks for the question. I'm relatively new out of residency, although I do feel like the pandemic and leading through the pandemic has definitely added some invisible years to my experience. Um, for me, there was always this feeling that I could look to physicians who had been in practice much longer to kind of hold these senior positions, leadership positions, and really show those of us who were a little closer to training kind of the way. And the pandemic caused a lot of stress on the mental health professionals, all of us, um, not just the physicians, of course, and mental health nurse practitioners, social workers. And a lot of folks have chosen to leave the profession altogether or to find, you know, other ways to practice healing. And so one day I looked up and realized that there were all these empty seats of leadership. And I, I, it's that cliche about um, realizing that you are the person, you are the one who can step forward, no matter how imperfect you may feel or um, how much you know there is to learn. And so I've been really lucky to be surrounded by some great mentors in the leadership space that have made it a little bit easier, but for sure we're in uncharted territory when it comes to the field of mental health, especially public mental health. 
I'd say you're you're a pretty good default choice starting from the beginning to now, Dr. Jackson. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I try to feel that. I try to feel that, but um, it's it's definitely a challenge every day to you know make sure that we're leading the public health um, of really people all across America in the right direction. So I know a lot of leaders. We are doing our best, um, but it's a tough time. It's a tough. Yeah. Time. Yeah, it's and I think that's interesting. A lot of times in until you're kind of put at that that point where, okay, should I should I raise my hand? You know, am I qualified? Um, obviously you are, you know, qualified and you have a passion um for it. So is there something that kind of advice you would give to some of um our, you know, physicians that are listening a- about that? I would say to feel the fear and do it anyway. Um one of the things that's great about um meeting Ryan and working with Ryan is that he really opened my eyes to all the different opportunities that are out there for folks who are willing to step forward into leadership positions. We always need psychiatrists and who want to just, just see patients, so to speak. I hate to say just because that is, it is a lift in and of itself. But um, I have been surprised how open different organizations are public and private to really new types of leaders. So for me, I'm a black woman. Um, I believe something like 3% of psychiatrists are black in general, let alone in the leadership space, I really, (laughs) I couldn't say. Um, So at times it can feel a little bit peerless. Um, So I know when I find allies um, and mentors and people who are willing to help uh, open those doors, um, which I agree are well-earned, but still sometimes those doors don't always open. It's, it's, it's a privilege, it's an honor, and it allows me to bring a new perspective to leadership. And I hope other people will follow um, and bring their unique lenses to the work. That, that's great. I mean, that I think is really inspiring and, you know, want to, you know, just congratulate you. I know, yeah, when you sometimes look around and go, wait, there's are there other people like that, like me? And how, how can we lift everybody up together? Um, so question for you, I'd love just to learn a day in the life of, of you know, as you as a, a medical um, director, or psych, psychiatric medical director, tell us a little bit more about that. I can tell you literally about the day that I had today. Um, I woke up, I met with one of our new psychiatrists who just joined the team and we divided up uh, the patients for the day who is going to see whom. Um, I had a sidebar where I was in court testifying um, um, on behalf of a patient who was there involuntarily um, and giving expert testimony. And I, then I got to meet with some of the public defenders that work with my patients. And then I ran and saw patients and discharged some and admitted some and um, then got to come back uh, to the table and meet with um, the other executives about opening new wings of the hospital. So it's literally this sort of weaving between being a clinician and working closely with nurses and social workers and working with other executives to figure out how we're going to build on our services and do more. So it's really exciting. That does sound really exciting. And, and every day it's different, I'm sure, from what you just described. I mean, that that's pretty cool to, to be able to kind of have all those different touch points. How do you, I mean, how do you balance, you know, making sure that you are ensuring that, you know, high quality patient care, you know, is, is being consistent um, within your department and then all that kind of the admin aspect, you know, is there where you balance that? Well, 
first I allow myself to recognize that there's never a hundred percent balance. You know, some days I'm more wearing my clinician hat necessarily and other times I'm wearing that leadership hat. But I think for me, it all begins with people. It begins and ends with people, making sure you bring in the right team around you um, and listening to their expertise. Um, so recruitment is truly, is I'm not just saying that, it really is number one. Um, and I think the other piece is grace and realizing that um, every single person on both sides, your patients and your colleagues are human beings all striving for this thing that um, maybe is, we strive for perfection every day and we give ourselves grace when we um, don't reach it because um, it's quite impossible to actually reach perfection. But I try to find beauty in the striving. Um, I try to remind myself to clock out. Um, I, If you saw behind me, we're um, in the part of my home where I have a little yoga mat and quiet space because um, I think creating space for solitude is really important and water and all the basics and realizing that it's a marathon, never a sprint. That That's so well said. And I think burnout, you know, is such a, a, a topic that is starting to become, you know, at least we're talking about it more um, and really prioritizing self-care. And it, that's exactly what you just said. You, you're prioritizing it for yourself and, and for your team, which I think is really important. Um, I'd love to hear from from both of you, you know, from your perspective, obviously, as, you know, a doctor and medical director, and then from Ryan's perspective, because I know he is, you know, an advocate and very much in this space about mental health awareness. Just kind of, you know, w- what do you think people should know out there? Just we have some, um, you know, just lay, laymen in our audience that also listen that are, you know, on on the medical side. Tell us a little bit more about, you know, what you, you'd like to get out there from a messaging standpoint. I think for me, um, especially the helpers out there can sometimes forget that self-compassion piece. But I try to remind myself that you can only offer the compassion to others that you've cultivated for yourself, um, that you can only offer the space to others that you've given to yourself and the peace that you've given to yourself. So I think if I could, um, you know, urge everyone never to think um, of taking time for yourself as a selfish act. And it is actually the only way that you can continue to give and show up in your fullness. Yeah, I uh, I couldn't agree more with that. That's for sure. From personal experience and watching other people go through it, you definitely have to uh, find a way to, you know, meditate. And people think of meditating like the cross your legs, Buddhist style, but that's uh, that's that's not always what it means. It could be laying down for ten minutes. It could be breathing exercises. It could be going to the gym. It could be having a heart to heart conversation with somebody. It it could be whatever you need it to be. Whatever centers you and brings you back to yourself and kind of puts you in that fluid state. Uh, one thing I do want a lot of people to be aware of is that you're not the only ones. Um, about 33% of adults in June of 2022 were reported symptoms of depression and anxiety. Um, there's a massive shortage of psychiatrists right now. So I think we're going to see a massive shift move uh, more towards delegation from doctors like D- Dr. Jackson to uh, psychiatric mental health nurse practitioners. And uh, these different AI and telehealth platforms. So, you know, what we're seeing right now is we're actually seeing an increase of people applying for psychiatry residency. But one of the faults I think in our system is that the slots don't exist. So, um, you know, it's it's been really challenging in that fact because it's risen 21% in the recent years 
uh, but there's usually twice as many applicants as slots for them. So we're going to continue seeing that shift. Um, you know, you don't need a doctor to diagnose and prescribe. They all have communication with the doctor, some sort of a delegation and hierarchy there. And um, they are just as good at, at their job as uh, the doctors are. So try to get the help you need, you know, be open about it, talk about it. And uh, otherwise, I think we're, we're in for an even ruder awakening, so to speak, in the coming years, because right now about 60% of psychiatrists are 55 and older. And COVID really exacerbated a, a retirement movement and more are coming. Interesting. Yeah, I did. Those 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 stats are really I mean, that's that kind of makes you really aware of the situation and, and what we have to face moving forward. Um, and Ryan, that was really insightful on the residence residency side as well. Um, some good some good stats there and information. What do you I mean, Dr. Jackson, do you think, you know, with the, this telehealth platforms and telepsychiatry, is that something that you're seeing more or is that, you know, for a lot of what you're talking about, it's more I mean, I'm assuming in in person? Yes, my I definitely see a rise in psychiatrists working on the telehealth platforms um, and even compared to just a few years ago, um, looking at the job market, there's so many postings for folks like me to be able to work and see patients without ever leaving our homes. Um, I think the people, and I think that's great. So to be clear, I think that's a wonderful thing and it expands access, but I fear that the people who are left behind are those who are sick enough to require inpatient hospitalization, um, like the folks that I take care of, many of whom are experiencing very severe symptoms. and. Um, a lot of the diagnosis relies on being able to be in the physical environment of somebody who may not be able to communicate um, as effectively what they're feeling inside. So you are left to draw on their behaviors. Um, how do they get along with other people in the unit? How do they ask for things? How, what kind of sleep are they having? And that gets lost on a telehealth platform. But what Ryan said is true, the, the numbers are ranging. And so I think as a field, psychiatry is being called to level up, um, to really think hard about how psychiatrists are placed and used within organizations. How can we support um, the advancement of psychiatric nurse practitioners? Um, we do use them in our hospital. They're wonderful. Um, I have I enjoy working with psychiatric nurse practitioners. My job would that be possible without their assistance? Um, and I think we're going to see more of that going forward. Stacy, can I? I want to ask a follow up question to this because I'm I'm genuinely curious, Dr. Jackson. Do you see any? Do you have any ideas or what do you think we're going to see, you know, to your point for those really acute or sick patients, uh, you know, that are just struggling from minor, I shouldn't say minor, but, you know, your day-to-day, you know, general depression, general anxiety that's typically easier to diagnose and it, there's a lot more tools and resources available to those people. How do you, how do you see the shift, you know, impacting your type of role or, you know, those even sicker patients? What what needs to be done to help those patients? I think it's so such a great question. I think, <clears throat> first of all, that psychiatry is going to be forced to stratify its offerings. In other words, um, that the people who can benefit from um, AI interventions, perhaps people who are experiencing more mild symptoms, maybe they just need a little bit of skills training, they, those folks will probably end up um, 
you know, using the, the newer apps and the things that are really more self-directed. Directed. Um, I think the role of the psychiatrist is going to have to change just because of the shortage from being the person doing the bread and butter uh, prescribing medications to more of a supervisory role where perhaps they're working with a team of psychiatric nurse practitioners who are um, meeting with patients every day and then perhaps tapping in that psychiatrist when there are cases where folks just aren't getting better or are particularly medically complex. So I think we're at a time that um, actually the system can't afford to take the few psychiatrists that we have and just kind of treat them the way we've always treated them. Um, my hope is that psychiatrists will be used more at a systems level to design systems of care um, and use that expertise to help almost decide who is sick enough to be at the highest level, who needs, who can be managed more at that middle tier, and what kind of resources we can put out to the general public to help folks who, um, you know, are just going through some life hurdles, but perhaps not needing full-blown hospitalization. So, no, very insightful, and yeah, it, it, I, I like your what you're saying. It's going to have to be broken out in in these different kind of layers um, to really address the, the shortage of of physicians that we have. Um, one one other thing I wanted just to get you know your your thoughts about Dr. Jackson is how do you really kind of stay up to date with everything that's that's going on? I know the world of psychiatry is always evolving. Are there any things? that you would give as tips to to our listeners um, that you like to do personally? Yeah, I like to. So I'm a millennial. So I embrace the podcasts, the YouTube channels. I think I've just seen a, an outburst of certified mental health professionals who are putting up their shingle on YouTube. Uh, I'm not a big TikToker, but I hear that there's some, some out there. I would urge people to really check out the folks who are verified as um you know, certified professionals. And really, there's a lot of what we call psychoeducation that's out there for free. Um, so I like to keep a pulse on that. Um, but of course, there are the professional organizations that I think are still very relevant in helping us keep track of all the key scientific findings. But I try to make sure I'm balancing those expert sort of high level opinions with reading the New York Times, which, for example, just put out an article about a new drug for postpartum depression. So I'm trying to not just read um, the expert opinions, but I want to know what normal people are reporting up and what they're asking questions about, because I think we should be able to communicate on all those levels with our patients. Love bringing in all the platforms. That's really, that, that's smart. I love that. Um, Ryan, I'd love to, you know, to give some advice to some potential, you know, um, psychiatric residents about, you know, what they should be mindful of going into the job market and, you know, what, what potentially working with somebody like you could, could do and, and assist them um, in that, you know, in that search. Absolutely. Um, First thing I would say is it's never too early to start looking. I would I would give yourself at least a year. You know, once you find the right one, it's going to come to fruition pretty quickly. But uh, I would highly recommend starting your job search early, putting feelers out there. But uh, also be transparent with yourself as well as your recruiter or the people you're working with on your timeline and your expectations and your processes. Because, um, you know, we are fighting an uphill battle here from all, all three sides, from the recruitment side, from the hospital side. Uh, the organization side and as well as the position side so 
uh, work together, collaborate with them. Um, and definitely I would recommend uh, finding a good recruiter. Not all recruiters are created equal. I'm sorry, but they're not. Um, find somebody who is going to be, again, transparent with you and who will act as your advocate as much as they're going to act as their client's advocate. I think a lot of people have the misconception of recruiters being your typical salesperson, like a used car salesman. You go in, you say you want to look at some Ford F-150s and they say, come look at this Dodge Dart. And you're like, that's, but that's not what we seller talked about, right? So it's, it's very similar, you know, trying to break that stigma and that negative connotation that we have uh, by truly being happy for providers, whether they work with us or a different firm or a different recruiter, take our job or take a different job. You know, having that mindset and that, that service mindset, that genuine curiosity to help people is what a good recruiter is going to look like. So um, I think something they should look for in terms of the job market is, you know, again, transparency. If you can't, if the system can't be transparent on how you're going to get paid, what you're getting paid, what the breakdown's going to look like, what your responsibilities look like, what their strategic initiatives look like in growth and scaling over the next couple of years, opening your hospital wings, hiring PMHMPs underneath you. If they can't be transparent with the, you on all of that stuff, it might be a little bit of a red flag that they don't have it or they're not willing to share, which often speaks to their culture. Um, you can always look at leapfrog ratings. Uh, leapfrog ratings are a great way to look into a hospital system to see where they stand in patient care, continuity, patient access. Um, asking those difficult questions that you might be afraid to hear the answer to, and uh, they might be of disservice to you, but you want to know them front. Otherwise, it's going to bite you in the butt on the back end. But uh, I, I think that answers your question. I've got a lot more to, that I could say, but uh, yeah, those are my tips and tricks. That's I think that's super helpful. And um, hopefully, you know, our listeners will will really hear your advice on some of those things that are important when they're getting into the market. Um, anything else, you know, you guys have have noticed just um, in terms of the areas that you're working, um, Ryan, you probably see this more. Is there is there more demand, obviously, in certain areas versus versus others? And um, I think, Dr. Jackson, you're you're talking about your you you know, your new role is an area that really needs, you know, someone like you and, and uh, you know, they're so lucky to have you. So just tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I want to give kudos to Ryan. I have to because I, I came to him and I fully identified as a community psychiatrist and I've ended up at a private hospital that works very closely with community. And so I would say my advice to anyone who's beginning their search is to be crystal clear about who you are inside and what drives you and what you're looking for, but balance that with an open-mindedness. And as Ryan said, finding the right recruiter to work with is absolutely game-changing. Um, there were times in the search where I would say, well, what about this? And Ryan would say, he would just remind me of the values that I shared with him in the beginning. And I just thought, it was so helpful um, to keep me focused on the end goals that I had laid out. Um, because the, the fact is, there's a lot of places that will hire a psychiatrist right now. So it, it, we're lucky that it is sort of uh, the market of the psychiatrist to set the terms. But that can be a double-edged sword um, if you don't really know yourself and you're not focused in on what you want and what will make you happy. So um, recruiters really can be that, that help <laughs> that you need. No doubt. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just conversely on that, you know, be you got to be true with your candidates, too. It's You got to listen to them. 
uh, what is important to them because it's it's going to be the same old adage. If you try to sell them on something that's not good for them and take that emotional piece, like, oh, for Dr. Jackson, for example, this California dream they wanted to entertain coming from Chicago. I'm like, listen, you got these goals. It's not going to happen if you go to California here. If you want to be in California, you got a reason to be, that's great. I'll help you get there. But based on what you told me, this isn't it. This <laughs> is Jackson. So, you know, just just challenging perspective at times, I think, is really important. It's kind of like it's kind of like having good friends around you. You know, you don't want to be the friend where when somebody comes to complain to you or you know complain about something that consistently happens in their life, you just oh yeah, agree with them, bet with them. No, that's not being a good friend. It's saying hey, I think you should try this or have you thought about it this way. It's challenging perspective, and when you can ask those tough questions, not only with your friends but in your professional life as well, I think you're going to see yourself go a lot farther and be able to help a lot more people. Um, as far as big trends we currently see, uh, all of them, <laughs> um, it's it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Um, unfortunately, our healthcare system is a little bit flawed, a lot bit flawed. <laughs> but uh, I think, you know, a few years ago, radiology wasn't even at the top of the list. And I think the last couple of years has been number one or number two. Um, we're going to see that with psychiatry. It's it's one of those industries where it's a little too a little too late. You know, it's when they need the help, they need it now, and we should have been thinking about it three, four, or five years ago. Um, and kind of, you know, we can't see the future, but trying to be a visionary at least. But I guarantee you, psychiatry is going to become the number one need within the next five years, if not sooner. Um, but everywhere is crucial. I mean, I see these small anesthesiology groups getting swallowed up by big corporations right now and every single one of them can't hire or retain someone to save their life because CRNAs are in such high demand right now they can go work per diem or locum tenens and travel the country make 200 grand more than they're going to make in a permanent role and experience life so then the anesthesiologists are stuck covering all of these shifts the culture and the continuity of the system stinks uh, they're burnt out, they end up leaving, and it's just this massive exchange of stress, <laughs> kind of a mass state of psychosis like we experienced in COVID. So, uh, but no, it's, there's trends everywhere, but psychiatry is at the top of my list that it means a lot to me. But anytime that you can find a stellar provider and put them in a place that's not only conducive for the community, but conducive for them, their family, and their goals, that's when you really get to make a difference. And uh, that's what I'm most excited about. Well, thank you so much. I want to I want to thank um, Dr. Jackson, you know, for being on today, and and Ryan for all of your insight, all of your time. Um, this is such an important topic and such an important role that you play in our communities. And I'm just so glad that Ryan and you were able to work together. And you're just you're you're really loving your new your new role. So I'm really really excited. Thank you guys both for your time. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Stacy. Thanks, Dr. Jackson. Thank you so much. Great to see you. Thank you to all of our listeners. If you would like to be notified when new episodes air, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And a big thank you to Pacific Companies. Without you guys, this podcast would not be possible. If you would like to be a guest, please go to www.pacificcompanies.com. Thank you.